How's it going, friends? Welcome back to Mental Health Monday, my free therapy session for the week. <laughs> <laughs> it feels that way sometimes. <laughs> Um, it's been a couple weeks. Uh, I had a week away, and then um, you know, when I take a week away, then it takes me a week to catch up, and right. here we are. Back but on track. we're back, and uh, we have a couple interesting things today. Um, we actually chatted for probably an hour before mm-hmm. we were recording here today, and so um, if we seem, if I seem a little bit disjointed, it's because we're, we're kind of coming to this realization. Well, you already knew this, but yeah. and I knew this too, I guess. The all-encompassing nature of the things that we're talking about yes. is um, is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult for me to compartmentalize it into, like, just one little thing. Right. I guess it wasn't so bad when we were talking about school bullying or we have a news story or something specific that we're pointing to. But um, today we were talking about a big thing, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. shortly. But um, before we get into that, I guess, let's uh, do our calibration. Yes. Uh, as we do our calibration, interesting story I read and sent to Joanne. Um, it was in the Epic Times. I'll, I'll link the story so you can go check it out if you're interested. Mm-hmm. But it's called, uh, they were talking about a, uh, I guess, a therapy treatment. Trauma treatment. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole point was they were taking people that had been through war trauma, right. that had PTSD, and they would as they're recalling their stories or talking through their trauma, they would follow the finger of a, uh, of the therapist. Right. And it would unlock something in their brain. Yeah. They, there are other mechanisms as well, but that's, it can be done that way. Yeah. So it was like, they were like, it's a very simple thing and they're seeing Mm -hmm. great success with it. And maybe there's something to this. And (laughs) I, of course there's something to it, right? Right. Because this is how our bodies are created. We talked last time a lot, a lot about the deep breathing. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you talk about widening the vision. Right. So what's happening with EMDR? You can tell us a little more. (laughs) What's happening with EMDR is with the um, eye movement, it is encouraging the movement of the eye that doesn't happen during fight or flight. Mm -hmm. So I've talked about the reason why panoramic vision is so important and how it sends a signal to our bodies that we are indeed safe. So. That's what it's the beginning of. And then through that beginning, same way that widening our own vision accesses mind and emotion, that accesses the emotion of the trauma that needs to be reprocessed from the amygdala to the prefrontal cortex. Mm. And the prefrontal cortex, again, is the part of our mind that's online when we're in rest and digest, so emotion can indeed be processed. Yes. But if that if that eye stuff stays the same, then no, um, I shouldn't say no amount of, because people improve, but um, you don't really truly heal or get better um, post that trauma unless it's been processed in a rest or digest state. Right. And they were saying it's like it produces a result similar to REM sleep. And then when I when I said that earlier, you said yeah. REM sleep is the only time that that amygdala actually fully shuts off. Correct. And so it really makes sense that that those things would be connected mm-hmm. and then like well why why don't we sleep when we've been through serious trauma why yeah. don't we like right right is because we're in a hyper vigilant state yeah yeah you know we're, we're needing to look out for what might happen do you think that's sometimes the problem when people have like severe insomnia and that kind of stuff 
I mean, percent. Almost always. Oh yeah. Yeah. Almost okay. always. <laughs> almost always. That's a whole nother episode. See, <laughs> right? all encompassing once again. So if you're there at home, um, take some deep breaths with the belly, mm-hmm. like we talked about last time, and then the widening of the vision, like literally, the, you pick a fixed point, right? You pick a fixed point. Yeah, that was one of the things that they miss in the article. The article talks about the eyes bouncing around or moving around. Yeah. Well, they can still bounce around in a hypervigilant state, right? In a fight or flight state, which is why the therapist directs what's happening with um, the different mechanisms that are used in eye movement desensitization. Um, But I think it's an important note that it's not just looking around, it is picking a focal point to keep in the center while bringing into your range, the peripheral vision. Yeah. All right. Basically looking as far into your peripheral vision as you possibly can. See, and I just had the physiological effect of actually doing it. <laughs> and it's, real, it's, a, it's a loosening, it's a releasing. Yeah. So if you're there at home, you can even look at the, well, maybe don't look at the screen because that's like all encompassing in itself. But mm-hmm. pick a fixed point, do that real quick while you're listening, and mm-hmm. um, let that part of your brain turn on. Yes, yes. And practice it because then you don't have to walk around going like this. Right. You know where it feels um, in your eyeballs, like your, I want to say eyeball muscles. I don't know if that's a thing. I think so, right? It is a thing, yeah. Okay. So you can feel where it is and be breathing to your diaphragm. Um, just walking around out there. One yeah. of the previous episodes, I encouraged people to do it like training, like calisthenics. Yeah. Okay. As I said before, like that's why I think things that work naturally for me are like going outside, mm-hmm. taking a walk in the garden, because mm-hmm. it automatically makes me breathe deep and it automatically makes me mm-hmm. look in peripheral. Yeah. So. And and that's and that's it's that's absolutely wonderful. For you, right. um, because your your body can achieve allostasis. Allostasis means that you can come back to homeostasis after you've been thrown off, yeah. right? But not everybody can. If we've been particularly traumatized, or if we've been living in um, constant trauma, like we have this past year through the pandemic, yeah. if we don't have this awareness and understanding, then those standalones don't open up the rest of the stuff. In yes. fact, they're viewed as threat, viewed as threat internally, yeah. because that hypervigilance then can't be happening. Yeah. So that's it, why. Well, that, that's one of the things you talk about, though. To me, like mm-hmm. they make such a deep impact on me mm-hmm. because it's like for me, it's always been like hyper practical, mm-hmm. and I'm able to take this stuff, and it's not. It's really nothing new to me. Right. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's obviously how our bodies were designed to work. Right. It's and, how it goes together. And I remember when I had that time of extraordinary peace. And, yeah, I can remember how, wow, mm-hmm. I was at rest. Yeah. I was like, it just makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway. Yeah. But so, the, it, I'm sorry. I don't mean to. Yeah, I, no. But I want to underscore that, right? That, yeah, it works because that's how we're designed to function 100 <laughs> percent. yes so we're going to take on the beginnings of a big topic here and we may not even end up all in this but um over the last couple of years and and really just in the last two weeks i posted this video about my grandfather mm-hmm. um, my grandfather passed away of covid in january of 21 um, my grandfather to me was like growing up he was like my dad mm-hmm. and so to me it was like i lost a parent mm-hmm. i lost like 
it was like my child. He was my childhood hero. Mm-hmm. It was like everything I wanted to be growing up, and and so many of the things that I am now. I was gonna say he's still your hero. Yeah, and he, he still, still can be. And yes, that's, that's yes, the absolutely. beauty of it, right? <laughs> yeah, hundred. And we'll get into that. Too. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I, you know, when he passed, it really it threw me for a loop, and I, um, as it as it should, mm-hmm. and as it as absolutely. as we should expect it would. Right. And then you if multiply. That would be a problem. Yeah, okay. you multiply <laughs> that times. Um, 900,000 mm-hmm. um, deaths mm-hmm. over the course of the last year uh, or the past two years from right. COVID. And then on, but even in normal times, okay, almost 3 million people die in the yeah. United States every year. Yeah. So it's not like this doesn't go away because COVID goes away. Right. This is something that's completely ongoing. And, and mm-hmm. I've, I've known and seen people over the last couple of years, I think because of the deaths that happened in the pandemic, we're already in a fight or flight state. Then you get this horrible thing that mm-hmm. happens and you were already not processing. Right. You throw in something else that makes you not process. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, how do we move forward? And I've seen some people get stuck, be thrown back into, um, you know, alcoholism, addiction, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. uh, unhealthy lifestyles, escapism, right. whatever it is. Right. And so, I know we're not going to solve all the world's problems in this respect, (laughs) but if we're ever like the way I'm looking at it is the healthcare system right now is dealing with a two year backlog because of all the messed up um, things that happened and they canceled surgeries and canceled cancer treatments. And like now we're dealing with all the after effects of that in the physical, in the physiological and in the mental health. I think we have that same backlog. Right. Oh, completely. Yeah. Completely. And so, (laughs) I don't even know what the first question is. How do we Uh-oh. how do we deal with how do we deal with death in a normal time? Uh, right. Well, that's what I was thinking of while you were talking. That so it it's not just having death in a fight or flight state already. Yeah. But the natural component that allows us to at least begin to move forward, or at least to keep functioning within that trauma of the death, are the rituals of funerals. Mm. And we weren't able to have those. Yeah. Right. Funerals, visitation, um, all of the saying your last goodbyes. Right. Right. All of those things that if we didn't have them, we would just collapse into puddles of sorrow and fear. Yeah. And we didn't have those. (laughs) And we didn't have them. Right. So that's that's the numero uno, if you will. Um, That's the function of those rituals so that we do keep going until we can get to a place of acceptance initially that the people are no longer very careful here no longer here where we can see them doesn't mean they're no longer here yeah right and so if we can't even do our first step then we can't even do our first step yeah so i would really really encourage people to still do something that is um, in remembrance of, yeah. especially people who find themselves stuck. Yeah. Right? And I think uh, for me, that when I made the video about my grandfather, mm-hmm. that that video came from, um, I had the great honor to speak yeah. at his funeral. Yeah. And so the video is almost, it's almost word for word, the exact thing that I spoke at the funeral, oh, okay. um, which was amazingly impactful for me and I think like almost like a cathartic experience for myself and for my family mm-hmm. because they got to um, 
it was just a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've given uh, hundreds of sermons over the past 10 years and all those kinds of things. And I've never walked away from one where I felt as complete as I did in that moment mm-hmm. because it was so, like, I had to do it. Right. It's like I had to do it right. to be able to move forward. And, um, but yeah. that was, normally a funeral happens within a few days. Right. My grandpa's funeral was in May. He died in January. Uh, okay, yeah. And so it was a lot of time to right. ruminate and, like, right. not. Right, so. And And so when you speak about it being a cathartic experience, um, may I suggest if it doesn't fit, then it doesn't fit. Sure. Um, but that it was a recognition that his spirit lives on. Absolutely, and that was the whole point of it was, like, Look, this doesn't die with him. And and that's what carries us through. Yeah. But without that carry through, um, we don't get through. Yeah. So good. Let's I, I wanna dig I wanna go back to something you said, um, that the fight or flight kind of allows us enough time to be able to get to the first step. Mm-hmm. It's like right. step zero. Right. And it's and but but once again it's kind of how we were designed. And I think mm-hmm. we have a really negative view of fight or flight. Yeah. Probably because that we are stuck in it so way more than we should be in our <laughs> right. modern culture. Yeah. It should not be dominant. We should be able to get out of it. Yeah. So that's why it has a bad rap. But it has a very real and useful function. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about that. Maybe not. I mean, in the context of death, for sure. Mm-hmm. But in the context of like everyday life, like mm-hmm. how should fight or flight? Why is it good? Why should we? Mm-hmm. Why? Why is it? Okay. Why is it useful? Right. Well, in the context of death. <laughs> It's so that we can get through that first year. And it lasts about a year. And that was one of the things we talk about, too. I don't encourage um, calibrating the body when because it is calibrated at that point, right? When the fight or flight is serving the function that it was designed to do, the body is calibrating, all right? And I know that's a confusing statement, but hopefully with explanation it will become more clear. Mm-hmm. So... What it does is it allows us to move through highly unusual, often highly dangerous, whether they're physically dangerous or psyche and emotionally dangerous situations, long enough to get to the other side, if you will, to get to a place of true safety and recognition so then um, processing can happen. But in those moments, it's not called fight or flight for nothing. It was designed for true life or death experiences. And that's why the adrenaline surge is so um, forceful. Uh, forceful isn't even the right word. Powerful. Powerful eruption. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That And we hear, it's been a while. I need to try to find some new stories. Um, <laughs> but there was a story of a woman lifting a car off her child that circulated right that was adrenaline that was fight or flight so yeah very useful highly functionable Mm -hmm. and that's what we're talking about when there are times that that's necessary that amount of um force that's the word i was looking for that force yeah okay that amount of force is necessary to either escape or kill fight the or also collapse and that serves another function and i need people to understand and hear that one also because often people who have been in trauma particularly with sexual abuse they'll say why didn't i do anything Mm. well it's a collapse component that says this is the safest route for survival Uh. okay so 
again, the problems only come into play when it's no longer practical or useful for what is happening in the here and now. But that's the nature of trauma. When you get locked into fight or flight, it creates a lens that makes everything look like what that experience that threw you into the fight or flight was. Yeah. Okay, and so that's, and that's dysfunction, guys, right? Something that once was highly functional and useful and made total sense and was good, all right? Now, in a different set of circumstances, no longer applies. So it's dysfunctional. Yeah. That's that's how we land in dysfunction. And I um, I remember when we first started talking about this, probably, what was it, five years ago, um, yeah. I had the thought of uh, um, NFL quarterbacks. And I think everyone in the Western Pennsylvania oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. has that kind of like, <laughs> this was my illustration, I think. Yeah, yeah I, it was. I said... Uh, <laughs> You know, there's a difference between like a rookie NFL quarterback mm-hmm. when they get behind center, they take the snap, and they're they're not able to process right. in the moment. They're just right. like you look on the you watch them and you're like mm-hmm. they're just running for the dear life. Right, right. They're, they're in coming like, in my pocket. They're total flight or flight <laughs> mode. They right. don't know what to do in those right. moments. And then you look at someone like Ben Roethlisberger mm-hmm. or Tom Brady, like mm-hmm. these Hall of Fame level quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. They don't have fight or flight they're mm-hmm. going through executive processing in the midst mm-hmm. of chaos right and they have but they had to train their body to do that right and their brain right yeah. <laughs> and it's like a year, the year thing makes a lot of sense to me even in that context too because it's like no one expects anything out of a rookie quarterback right right and so if you're in a real traumatic moment now that's a game okay right right this but. is real life but if you've had a real traumatic moment it we shouldn't probably expect a whole lot out of ourselves for a year no yeah. No. Right. No. Right. And so. Um, and that's big T, you guys. Like trauma, you know, incident where it's able to be pointed to and horrific. But unfortunately, we have tons of little T, which means we're walking around in trauma, especially intergenerational trauma. And this is before the pandemic. Right. Now, the pandemic, again, and that's the reason why so many um, dysfunctions of how we live were illuminated um, because once we got to not having all of the distractions and all of the escapisms and all of the things that we typically fall back on were gone, then these things started showing themselves. Yeah. So these, these little T's are chronic trauma that are developmental traumas. And um, for those, we're not talking a year anymore because it's been way too long that we've been walking around in fight or flight to begin with. Yeah. So we go to calibration and getting to the rest of the story, if you will. And okay, maybe I that, wanna make that distinction, it's important. Yeah, and maybe that's why it's so important for where we started. We probably didn't realize it at the time, but like to move past the kind of living in fear from a pandemic perspective, mm-hmm. To be able to move past and through that is almost a prerequisite to be able to even then just start to process all of the other junk that's happened over the last two years. Yes, yes. And so... Um, big time. Yeah. So, I mean, if you had a big relationship loss or if you had mm-hmm. some kind of other physical accident or mm-hmm. whatever it might be, mm-hmm. in the context of this corporate collective trauma, right? man, it's a... It's a recipe for disaster. It, yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, there's a lot of conversation about setting things up for reopening, setting things up for reopening. Again, all good, but it talks more about access to things that were already in existence 
um, more mental health treatment, more access to mental health treatment, better work environments, um, you know, cultures of businesses, all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, social emotional learning in school. Good, wonderful in the sense of what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But if we don't know how to go back to <laughs> step one, right. all that stuff in the world isn't going to make the adaptive difference that we're looking for. Yeah, because it won't be received, right? I mean, Correct. It can't be received. It can't be received. Yeah. And, and all the stuff that they're talking, we've had for a million years. All of these programs, all of the things, they've all been in existence, not just at the rate of what they're wanting to do now. Again, the increase of rate isn't going to do anything if we can't receive it. Right. And I, I guess I want to clarify too. When I say we're not living in fear of the pandemic, I don't. I don't just mean like throw your mask in the garbage or that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that necessarily means that you're living in fear. Mm-hmm. Right. The living in fear happens when you're allowing your emotions. You're when you're allowing the that those fire that to drive your right. decision making. Right. Well, you know, and that's one of the things that I often work with the participants on. The action you arrive at might look exactly the same. Right. It's how you got there. Right. So if you're choosing to wear a mask because of this, that, or the other reason, yeah. then you're choosing because of this, that, or the other reason. That's the other thing. Choice doesn't happen unless you're in a rest or digest state. True choice. True yeah. choice. Yeah. True choice. And then, but if you're wearing the mask because you're afraid, you know, well, I'm going to put it on because if I don't, I'm afraid that. Because I'm afraid that, I'm afraid that. Action same, how you got there is very different. Health on your body, mind, and emotion, and the toll it takes or the release you have are the differences. Yeah. So it may look the same, but it's a completely different process. One is healthy, one is not. So good. Okay. See, we talked for an hour, and these are all things we didn't even talk about. No. <laughs> all encompassing. Right. It so, really is. All right. So I wanted to make sure we kind of understood that fight or flight thing. Mm-hmm. So then if we kind of go back to, okay... Don't expect a whole lot of yourself mm-hmm. for a year. Um, the, a lot of that reasoning, um, I, I was trying to juxtapose things because I was trying to understand, you know, what's the difference between, like, say, I'm in a horrific car accident and I break both of my legs. Like, that's going to be a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. That's going to, every time I get in the car, I'm going to mm-hmm. think about it, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that I'm going to have to work through, right? Right. right? Losing somebody is different because it's not, it's not just me dealing with me. Mm-hmm. It's like if you lose somebody close to you, like say I, I, when I lost my grandfather, my grandfather, even though I maybe would speak to him every few months, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't speak to him all that often. And I saw him even less, maybe once every two years. Okay. But still, there was a, there's this touch point where every time I'm walking around Katanning with a mm-hmm. camera, mm-hmm. I'm almost like, it's almost like I'm walking with my grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. And people, I never, I, a lot of times I'll walk fast from one place to another. Mm-hmm. And it, I almost always will think about when I was a little kid, uh-huh. my grandfather walking so fast, and I'm like running, right. trying to keep up with his walking pace. Right. I saw your gait in the video, and I saw, oh, that's where he gets it. But yeah. yeah. So like all of those things, the, the touch points of where the, my grandfather and I met on a daily basis mm-hmm. were all these interposed through all these different areas of my life. Now, if someone else even closer to me, a, a spouse, child, if someone like that would pass away, mm-hmm. it's even deeper connection. Mm-hmm. And so you talked about like this year, what's the significant, right. why a year? 
because all of our first happen in the year. The way we mark time, right, which is one of the things that we lost during the pandemic, uh, but that's an aside. But the way we mark time are holidays, birthdays, and um, our seasonal kinds of, of celebrations, if you will. Sure. And so all of those firsts are the ones that the physical touch points of the people that we're accustomed to having here on Earth with us are not there. Right. Okay. So that's pretty unacceptable okay initially that's that's unacceptable and so the fight or flight is designed to say okay you're not you're going to be able to go through the motions but you're not going to be present in the moment all right um which requires all of the other functioning that i've talked about yeah um and which is why it's also a mindfulness term okay so within that presence it would like you see me, like yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, until then we get to acceptance, which then starts the process of recognition that the person who physically holds those touch points is no longer here, but moving through it means we carry those touch points with us, as you were describing. Yeah. Okay. And so during those, when we're first emerging from fight or flight, during those spiritual touch touch points, right? Yeah. They're going to come with very difficult emotion. Yeah. And it's being able to have the body remain in a rest and digest state so that the prefrontal cortex is online, so that the emotion, energy and motion can be moved through. Because if we're not... Once that comes up, it puts us right back down again. Yeah. All right. And so that's the acceptance and moving through component. Good news, once we move through that, we get to experience the same joy of having that connection still, carrying that person with us still in a way that allows us to know we get to be with them without needing that physical touch point, okay? Because you described the touch points as touch points when he wasn't there at all. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And that was before he passed. Yep. So they're still there. Yep, definitely. So, like, I'm, I don't know, I'm a person where it has to be hyper-practical for me to be able to do anything with it. So, and I love that because you, you <laughs> illustrate how practical it all is. Yeah. So when we, like, there's a lot of people I know that lost somebody, but they didn't. They can't shut down for a year. Mm-hmm. You know, you well, still got to go to work on Monday. You still got to do the dishes. You still got to wash your clothes. You still got to do all these things. <laughs> that's what fight or flight's for, though. They are shut down. Yeah. They're just going through the motions. Okay. That's where we get going through the motions. Okay. Okay. And that's what, and that's what, but that's, that's, that's kind of what I wanted you to say. Okay. Uh, but like, what can people do in the meantime? Is it, does it literally just going through the motions? I mean, what, what should you be? Is there... for, for the first year, like, um, like, because we don't, we don't want to rush that. I mean, if you don't experience it, beautiful, right? But I'm saying, don't be all down on yourself if for the first year 
you're all bent out of shape in the sense that nothing really isn't enjoyable anymore. Nothing is really the, the way it used to be, number one, because it's not the way it used to be, right? But number two, because you're going through the motions. It's a survival state. Mm. We just don't want to stay there. Again, survival state good when it is called for, Yeah. right? So, I mean, I wrote down, we should be patient with ourselves, right? Uh, absolutely. And I, I often um, tell my participants, um, be gentle with yourself. Gentle. Because it's good. not just patient, right? Because we have a skewed idea of patience often. Like, yeah. just wait it out. Just wait it out. No, be gentle. When things come up, the same way you would care for um, a, a, a child, this is particularly difficult when it is a child that you've lost, right? But in the same way that you would care for anybody else that you love. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yep. Anybody else that you love. Ooh, I'm going to take it a little further. I'm going to challenge you guys <laughs> to say anybody else, right? Not that we love. Just the same way you would care for anybody in need in our humanity, right, is the way you need to be caring for yourself. Be gentle with yourself yeah. during that time. I wrote down connection. Is connection important during that time, or is it okay to just be more reclusive? Well, connection is a funky, again, kind of construct, right? Um, stirring sense of connection is the definition that I use for love. And when I initially start this with participants, they're like, what? Like, you're crazy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then they get to see how it's relevant in the sense that connection doesn't necessarily have to mean that I think fondly of the person. The opposite of love is not hate. That's still a stirring sense of connection because okay. it still evokes emotion, right? Yeah. The opposite is indifference. Mm, okay. okay. It's the absence of the stirring sense of connection. Okay. All right. So when we talk about connection with other people, it's only as valuable as it ever was. If it never was all that valuable in terms of needing other people, yeah. then it's not something that you have, have to go do unnaturally. And I say it's a little bit of a beast because I often hear people say, you need to connect, you need to connect, you need to connect. No, man, you need to understand what that stirring sense of connection is and be able to recognize it as when it's valuable, good, and true in the sense that it can be managed in a parasympathetic state with the prefrontal cortex so it can be experienced or, and this often happens in trauma, it becomes something that is threatening mm -hmm. because in and of itself, it is neutral. It is not good or bad, negative or positive. It's the thought connected to that stirring sense that results in how we feel about the connection. Yeah. So back to my original point, it's either how we love or we hate, or love being the word that we use, right? right. Love or hate. And so if it is not a regular part of your living. Mm -hmm. You don't have to try to force it to be. And if, that's probably why it like, pops up as something so important to me. Okay. Because the connection is very important. Okay. Like I'm a very extroverted person. Mm -hmm. Like I love be at meetings and all that kind okay. of stuff. So. Um, so, so you might do well to spend some time with yourself. 
yeah. <laughs> genuinely, well, right? Because it's 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 yeah. And I think yeah. that's what I was getting at because <laughs> when when people go through like these grieving processes, mm-hmm. I think so much of the advice that the kind of the the common knowledge that the world would give mm-hmm. would be like, oh, stay busy, stay mm-hmm. busy, and that mm-hmm. that may not be helpful. Right. And the same thing with addiction recovery. A lot of right. times they're like, stay busy, stay busy. as long mm-hmm. as you're doing something, then you won't be doing mm-hmm. what you shouldn't be doing. Right. But that's not real healing no it's not remember i think when we first began this we talked about human doing yeah right and as opposed to human being yeah and the human being component means that we can heal Mm -hmm. we've got to have time for that body mind and emotion to get back into alignment under the design system that we are to function with yeah and so again when something throws it out of whack the fight or flight is there to keep things going, right? Mm-hmm. One of the physiological components of that is that it shuts down non-essential, well, I want to say services, but uh, that's a pandemic term, <laughs> um, non, non-essential processes, Yeah. okay? Um, like digestion and different things that aren't, that's why we don't feel like eating, after a death, right? right? So it shuts down those things that are non-essential for living. And that's why we're still able to survive. Again, it cannot be long-term, yeah. but it's a very... And so if we're just staying busy, instead of those things coming into alignment, what we're doing is trying to outrun yeah. <laughs> that, that discomfort, that pain. Right. I mean, that, that pain physical pain that's another thing people often say you know oh emotional pain or heartache and but those are very real terms in the sense that the body experiences it physically absolutely okay i think that's why so many times it involves the digestive system Mm -hmm. because like you feel that in the pit of your Mm -hmm. stomach like these are all terms that we use because right because they accurately describe Right. How we're designed to be. Right. There's a gazillion colloquialisms out yeah. there. <laughs> um, but that, and at some, at some point, I'm going to compile them. Yeah. Um, because they just, it makes it very practical. Yeah. Helps people say, oh, oh. Right. That's what it is. And then you can use it. Yeah. Well, as long as we're doing executive functioning, right? Mm-hmm. Even in your daily life, you'll hear people say stuff and you'll be like, oh, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Like when you say, Disease, mm-hmm. like for disease, yeah, it's disease. Right. Like that makes so much sense so when much you like sense. stop and break it down. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. This is probably a good place to stop for okay. this one. Um, but I think I don't. We're not done with this conversation mm-hmm. by any means. So maybe we'll continue that on next time. But um, if any comments you guys have, anything that you're dealing with, uh, wondering how can I move through? Hopefully this is helpful. And if you need points of clarification mm-hmm. certainly leave us a comment mm-hmm. be more than happy to address it in the next episode and i think with the whole death thing I mean, this was this is my conclusion mm-hmm. you can you can agree or disagree we need to have a lot of grace for ourselves mm-hmm. and we need to have a lot of grace for others yes <laughs> and so if if this conversation if all it does is it makes you see someone else who lost someone and you're like man why are they so crazy this year mm-hmm. right. have a little grace right. and maybe you can give them something um even if it's just grace to help them walk through and you know and that's one of the things we we've talked about a first year as though these were 
typical times, but because they're not typical times, I want to reiterate, we weren't able to go through our normal rituals mm -hmm. um, that typically happen as the first step during fight or flight. And so um, even though the calendar year, calendar two years have passed, right. it's quite likely that people are still very stuck in that fight or flight because the even the beginning part of what that is designed to function to move us through didn't get to happen. Yeah. So we may need to be extending a whole lot of grace to ourselves and others for quite some time. That's not a bad thing. It'll give us good practice for moving forward. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and it, it could be the greatest thing that ever happened. Yeah, yeah, right? If God we, uses all things. Because <laughs> yeah. if we end up that, wow, we're all really graceful people, mm -hmm. and then when we get into a quote-unquote normal year, mm -hmm. what if we ever experience a normal year again, mm -hmm. when we get to that point, right. we'll be like, wow, the world yeah. is way better than it was pre right right so, yeah all right well that's it for this one yeah appreciate oh, y'all no excuse me you got one, more? one more time go for it i do this all the time um but things you say remind me of other things um and so i think it's very important to say if anybody is dealing with something particular i've not said it beforehand but that's the best way for the stuff that I'm talking about in the abstract to be understood because yeah. I've not run across any and and this is I mean and this is an amazing grace of God right I've not run across any scenario that can't be understood and illuminated under this body mind emotion um, what do we call it the first trifecta system trifecta trifecta yeah. has a bad connotation like fight or flight but <laughs> it's it's not yeah it's not in it's particularly in this sense amen all right all, right, all encompassing it. all encompassing all right it sure is be blessed guys all right see you in the next one bye